0: Lord, thank you so much for uh, your love and your mercy. Thank you for your word. I pray this morning that you would come now and speak to us um, through your word, that you would help us see all the different application points that we can have for our life, but ultimately uh, point us to Jesus, the only true king, and that we would be uh, overjoyed as we think about what Christ has done for us on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) So, um, last week, if you remember, we looked at Jehu in chapters 8 through 10. Jehu was one of the kings that was raised up, uh, and his primary task was to be an avenger. And so he went through and just wiped out tons of people that were terrible people. Uh, and as he wiped them all out, we get to the end, and it tells us this in chapter 10, verse 28. Thus, Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. So as he wiped out all those people who were bad, he was wiping out Baal worshipers, taking Israel, uh, Baal out of Israel. It says, but Jehu uh, did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So he, he still did this kind of worship in Dan and Bethel that wasn't supposed to be happening. It was supposed to only be taking place in Jerusalem. And he continued in that kind of same vein of the sin of Jeroboam back in First Kings, uh, which he had made. Uh, Israel to sin, that is the golden calves that were in Bethlehem Dan. Uh, But then verse 30 it recommends, says some good things about him again. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in carrying out out what was right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your sons to the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. So um, because he had wiped out all of Ahab, who was the really bad king that worshiped Baal, and all of his uh, family that was good, and then he says after that, But Jehu. Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord of Israel with all of his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had made Israel to sin. So that's where we finished. And as we just finished, we come into verse, uh, chapter 11, verse one. We see now Ataliah, the mother uh, of Ahaziah. And if so if you remember, Ahaziah was one of these people that are kings that, that Jehu was raised up to destroy. And so his mom, Ahaziah's mom did not like that. Uh, so it was partly that she was just mad that her son got killed, but also partly because she's just not a good person and wanted power. So what does she do at this particular point? You can see that because Ahaziah, she saw that her son was dead. She arose and then it says destroyed all the royal family. Now, this means that she's seeking to kill every single child. That's part of the Davidic line to totally cut off the promise made to David in 2 Samuel 14 a Messiah will come from you. We get to her son and there's, there's all this family and she just starts killing all the babies to ultimately cut off the Davidic line. Now God's promise. Now we don't know if it's, that's her ultimate deal. I want to, I want to kill God's promise, but that's what she's inevitably doing. She's killing all of the children around her, cutting off what would be, what would be the Davidic line. And we're one baby away from that happening where uh, which is this, this child, Joash, or Jehoash. Um, you can see here that we're one baby away of her destroying the entire royal line. But you have this lady, Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, likely the daughter of Ataliah, or, or however you want to pronounce it, Ataliah. I'm going to bounce around because I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe she's the mother-in-law, but she's probably the mother, uh, or the, the daughter-in-law, Jehoshaphat. Ataliah is her mother. And Jehoshaphat grabs the baby, um, this little baby, Joash, the son of Ahaziah, stole him away um, among the king's sons that were being put to death. And that's all of them, instead, not besides him. Uh, she put him and the nurse in a bedroom in the temple and just hides him in the bedroom in this temple for six years. He has to grow up in this bedroom, which is a pretty long time, um, to, to, keep him alive. So we're going to come back to the whole story of chapter 11 and 12 of Joash, uh, and, uh, Athaliah and Je- Jehoshaphat in just a second. Uh, but first, what I want to do is over 11 through 16, give us a full understanding of what's going on. So I titled the, the sermon 13 Kings. Um, you can go ahead and go one over 13 Kings because there's 13 Kings that are going to go through here. Uh, to the, to the south, there's five in Judah. And to the north, there's eight in Israel. Uh, the five in, to the south in Judah, the first four are good. The fifth one's bad. To the north, all eight in, Jude, in Israel are all bad. Uh, So what I'm going to do is just, we're going to go through Judah's and then we'll go through pretty quickly. We'll go through Israel so you can know all the Kings. And then we'll go back to number one in Judah and zoom in. That's Joash and 11 and 12 and look at Joash. But here's all of them. Uh, We'll start with the South, Judah to the South, mostly good Kings. Uh, The the last one's not, but uh, the pattern of all the Kings kind of goes like this. So-and-so was raised up uh, and they did what was fill in the blank, either evil or good in the sight of the Lord. Uh, and then gives us a little bit of a description of, you know, who were their family members and what they did that was good or bad. And then as it finishes, it says, uh, and that's the story of so-and-so the rest of them's written about this person is written in the Chronicles and he slept with his fathers. So like that's, that's kind of the little pattern that the King's writer sticks with even the Chronicles as it points back to the Kings. Um, and so. Here we go with Joash or Jehoash. Uh, depending on the Hebrew, it's written either way. And first, I'm sorry, Second Kings 11 or 12, it's written either Jehoash or Joash. It's the same person. There is a Jehoash king of Israel also, which is kind of confusing. But we're going to talk about Jehoash or Joash king of Judah to the south. But here we go. First one. Jehoash, king of Judah, the surviving seed of David. We're going to talk about that later, but you can just to see uh, in chapters 11 and 12. Next was Amaziah. He was an arrogant thistle. He's recorded in 14, 1 through 22. Mostly a good king. It says he was a good king. He followed the law of Moses at times. He defeated Edomites. As he got older, when he defeated Edomites, he became a little more prideful. So he took up some of their worship, a little syncretism going on. Uh, that's when you combine other wor- worship religions with your worship religion. That's called syncretism. Uh, And because of this pride and idolatry, he became uh, not so smart at the end. He tried to pick a fight with Joash or Jehoash, not the first guy, but the King of Israel. Uh, he tried to pick a fight with him and Jehoash King of Israel, uh, looked at him and said, you're a wild animal that I could stomp out like a little thistle. You shouldn't try to start a fight with me. If you do, it's not going to go well for you. Don't do this. And he's like, Oh no, I'm going to start this fight with you anyway. Should have listened because he lost the fight. Um, and Joash, uh, told him don 't do it Amaziah, but Amaziah did it anyway, and Amaziah lost Judah lost, and he destroyed some of their land. Joash, the king of Israel, destroyed some of the land, plundered their temple a little bit. Uh, next is, and thus was he. Uh, and then Azariah, also uh, Azariah, uh, this number three guy, is also some pronounced Uzziah. You probably heard of Uzziah, but it's the same guy as Azariah. Uh, and is Isaiah six, where I, he sees the Lord starts off, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That's this king. Um, he's on the whole good. He did have leprosy. He's recorded in 15, one through eight. Not much is written about him in second King. More is actually written in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 about him. He sought the Lord. Uh, he had many experiences that gave him victories. He gave Judah peace and prosperity on the whole. It does tell us in 2 Chronicles 26, 16 that when he became strong, he became arrogant, and that actually led to his destruction. He tried to burn incense in the temple, which is only a function of the priest, and he wasn't supposed to do it. God struck him with leprosy for the rest of his life for that, which tells us to always heed the words of Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before destruction and the arrogant spirit before the fall. Don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant as you grow older and become more capable. Always realize all of our capabilities are actually gifts from the Lord, not something that we can do in our own strength and will and power power. that 's the lesson of Uzziah next was Jotham uh, a glimmer of light of some of some what uh, similar to Azariah not much is written about him in second kings just a little bit 's actually written about him in second chronicles that tells us some stuff in second chronicles twenty seven six it tells us that Jotham became mighty because he ordered his way before the Lord so he was somewhat good he had Built the upper gate of the house of the Lord up some. He built a wall of Ofel, which protected them some. He fought against the Ammonites and he prevailed against them. So he had some good things going for him. This was Jotham. Last was Ahaz. He comes in. Ahaz was terrible, uh, he was awful. And just like that, after four kings that were good, Judah is back to the king of Judah. And thus Judah itself is back to doing what's evil in the sight of the Lord. Or as it records, he did not do what was good in the sight of the Lord. Verse 3, I mean, just to tell you how despicable he was in chapter 16, verse 3. This guy Ahaz burns his own son for an offering, uh, which is just horrifically evil um, and Satanic. He was a terrible person. He made pagan sacrifices. That's what it says in 2 Chronicles 28 3. There's only one good thing written about Ahaz. Only one good thing written about Ahaz is in chapter 16, verse 20, where it says, Hezekiah reigned in his place. That's the only thing good about Ahaz because Hezekiah was good and J- Ahaz was dead. That's the only thing that's good about Ahaz. He was a terrible, awful person. Hezekiah actually was a king that did what what was right in the, in, in God's eyes. It tells us that in second Kings 18, not my job today. That'll be later. So I can't talk about Hezekiah, uh, even though he was awesome. He was awesome. I mean, just a really good King, um, like in the ranks of Josiah and maybe even Asa higher than Asa, Josiah and Hezekiah really good. Not my task today. So that's, that's the Kings to the South. Uh, the kings to the north, even worse. Not even very little to say about those guys. We won't spend much on time with them. Uh, on time with them because there's. Two reasons for that. One, they're terrible. Second, the king's rider doesn't spend too much time on them. He's kind of like pressing fast forward as he describes the kings to the north. Like, let's not spend too much time. Don't even, you know, watch it through fast forward on this story is what the writer wants us to do. So we're going to kind of watch it through fast forward. Jehoaz, uh, rescued not repentant. He was rescued, but he, you can read his story in thirteen one through nine. He did what was evil on the side of the Lord, not a good guy. Jehoash, this is the one that said, "Don't pick a fight with me," and he did it anyway. Uh, he, Jehoash won. He reigned sixteen years. He was actually with Elisha the prophet during his last days, but was unable to defeat Syria. The story in that, but he doesn't listen to Elisha. Jeroboam the second, prosperous. Not pleasing to God, he led a, a letter, very prosperous time of Israel, but he also did what was uh, evil in the side, Lord. What helps us remember, um, our conduct is more important than our money. Uh, now, our conduct, only good conduct because we're Christ followers and because Jesus has saved us, filled us with the Holy Spirit, and put us on a path towards being able to seek holiness in his power. But... Living in holiness is more important than having money. He led them in prosperity, but he was an evil guy. Zechariah only lived six months. He did what was evil on the side of the Lord. The reason why he only lived six months is because of number five, Shalom conspired, led a coup against Zechariah, Killed him, he was evil. Shalom only got to live one month because Menahem led a coup to kill Shalom, struck him down. Uh, Menahem did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, he, he, he was there 10 years. And then you have Pekahiah came, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, just like his father, Menahem. Manahem, when he died, passed on to Pekahiah, Pekahiah, whatever you say. He didn't last very long, two years, because Pekah led a coup to kill Pekahiah, killed him, uh, and then he became king. Uh, He was an evil king. He reigned 20 years. Thus is Israel. That's it. Um, So that's as as we go on through Judah to the south, Israel to the north. What can we learn? As we look all that, what can we learn? Here's what we can learn about looking at the history of the kings during this time period is this. We can stop and ask this question for ourselves. What do we want to be said about us? Each one of these kings has a little description. So and so, they lived, he's with their fathers. They did what was evil or good in the sight of the Lord. We all need to ask ourselves, what is it our children, or if there's a book written about you, will the book say, right? Will it say, uh, he did, she did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. She did what was good. Obviously, I think we all want it to be good. And so, of course, we need to realize for that to only be possible is because the gospel of Jesus has forgiven us of all of our sin, And then because of that, God's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, put it inside of us, put God inside, not it, He inside of us, put the Holy Spirit inside of us. And now because of that, um, we can live lives that are good and pleasing in the sight of the Lord because we've been filled with the Spirit and have the power to kill sin in our life. We have the ability to go share the gospel with all and live in holiness. And so... As we look at all these kings, we should, as Christ followers, desire that for ourselves and strive by the power of the spirit to live lives that have that to be said of us as we get older. Let's be men and women that worship God with our lives. And when we finish the book that's written about us, or even just your children, as they talk about you or your family, as they talk about you will say, this person did what was good in the sight of the Lord. That's the first section. That's actually just the introduction. Now we're ready to start the sermon, <laughs> so, um, which brings us to uh, back to chapter 11, verse one and three. Um, you can go ahead and put up number one or point A. I don't know what it is. A. So jo- jo- Joash or Jehoash's kingship is protected. As I said, Ataliah, uh, mother of Ahaziah, is not happy that her son is dead and she's seeking to kill all of the royal family. Now, Ataliah was a terrible person. She uh worshipped Baal like like Jezebel. She's Jezebel number two. Dale Davis says it this way about Ataliah. He said everybody, all prophecy any prophecy buff knew that was worth his salt, knew how to spell the Antichrist in eight forty BC. It was spelled A T H A L I A H. That's Ataliah. Uh she was she was not a good person. And so because of that we see that she's uh arose and she's seeking as it says there in verse one to destroy all the royal family she is trying to kill off the entire davidic line every single son that's from the line of david that has a right to to inherit the throne of david she's trying to kill them this has been the design since genesis chapter 3 verse 15 where satan is trying to bruise the heel of the messiah Uh, God's messianic promise was made in second Samuel 14. Basically when he says to David, uh, the Messiah will come from you. And we are at this particular point in second Kings, let this kind of hit you. Let the weight of this hit you and amaze you. In second Kings chapter 11 verses one and three, we are one baby away from that prophecy of the messianic promise in second Samuel 14 being over. One child away from God's promise not being fulfilled at all. Just one baby away. And she is on a rampage of trying to completely shatter the messianic promise. Thus arose a hero in Israel that day, Jehoshaphat. She was an absolute hero. Humanly speaking, we know God's sovereign, etc. But let's, let's go into the text. The text is pulling us in, wanting her to see the heroism of Jehoshaphat. She is the hero of the day here. Jehoshaphat the hero, she steps, aside, she steps in and decides that she's going to hide Joash. She's going to take Joash and hide him in the house of the Lord in verse 3. And so humanly speaking, without this hero, without this woman of God, Jehosheba, there would be no Messiah. We would have no Jesus, no such thing as Christmas without Jehoshaphat, humanly speaking. So she is, I mean, none of you walked in this morning thinking, I know who Jehoshaphat is. She ranks up there with David, she ranks up there with Paul. Jehoshaphat is a hero of the day. She steps in and because of her, we have the Messiah. We should all think of her in that way. And she should be recognized as such as an absolute hero of the Bible. Jehoshaphat, if you're pregnant, ever going to be pregnant with a girl, you should name your daughter Jehoshaphat because she is a hero of the Bible. You may not think it's cool, but let me tell you, Jehoshaphat is a cool hero of the Bible. So you should think about that name. Maybe you can just call her Sheba. I don't know, like come up with a derivation, derivation. Der- 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 A part of it. Uh, I couldn't think of the name there. Uh, But go with it. She's a hero of the Bible. She's an amazing lady. Some things about her just so that we should know. She was committed to Yahweh. Why she did this was because she was first and foremost a follower of Yahweh. Not a follower of Athaliah and power, but a follower of Yahweh. And she saw what Athaliah was trying to do and she doesn't want to do that. She wants to follow God and she loves God. Second, she values life. She sees that life is important. She said, who can I save? I can't save everybody but I can save one. I'm going to do my part because I value life. As a follower of Yahweh, all of us should, should value life. I'm going to take Joash and I'm going to do what he can so that he can be king. This is what she does. She values life. She also, um, she doesn't have a flashy life, but she obeys God with how she can and what she can do. She chooses to obey God with her life by, um, obeying him and taking this child and hiding him. She's also, she's a follower of Yahweh. She values life. She obeys and she's courageous. She's very courageous. She knew the dangers of rebelling against queen Adaliah, the rampager and doing what she's doing, but she's decided to jave Save Jehoash's or Joash's life anyway. So she's a follower of Yahweh. She values life. She obeys. She's courageous and she's smart. She's really smart. She knew as a foreigner, Atalia, the foreigner uh, queen, was not allowed into the temple she said, there's one place I can hide this baby and keep him alive. I'm going to put him in the bedroom of the temple and keep him alive. Six years, is a long time for one baby to live in one room, no doubt, uh, for a child to live there. But she's very smart. She said, I can put him there and let him grow up there, uh, and keep him alive. So these are all things that we should know about Jeho, uh, Jehoshabah because she is an amazing hero. Um, and she's willing to go to great lengths to make sure that this child doesn't die. Tony Morita comments looking at here and says in these three verses, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, we have gospel and we have example. Gospel is good news about Jesus. Example uh, is the thing that points us back to the good news of Jesus. We have a godly example of a faithful servant and the reminder of God's grace. Jehoshaphat gives us an example. God preserved the Davidic line by his grace. So God's showing us the example of gospel is God being grace. Uh, driven towards these people by preserving the divided line, keeping the promise. And the example we have is in Jehoshaphat um, saying, uh, I'm going to be uh, really courageous here to. to restore the line. So we aren't left here in our own power and our own strength to live, um, by ourselves trying to figure it out. But instead we have the mercy of God doing, uh, doing this for us. He says, the King is with us over us and for us. And the spirit of God is in us, empowering us to advance the kingdom of God in the face of enemies opposition. That's what, It's true of Jehoshaphat. The power of God is on her, empowering her to advance the kingdom of God in the face of enemies opposition. She goes to great lengths to make sure that this king doesn't die. Uh, Back a long time ago, when I only had like two kids, maybe even just one, uh, JC was one one year old or two or something like that. Uh, She says three, but I think she was like one. Um, And so uh, every child of mine has just unbelievable ability that when I say it, it, it befalls them faster than anything in the world. Hey, you know what? It's time to go to bed. They immediately become so famished that they cannot breathe anymore. They need to have water immediately. So whenever I say, Hey, it's time to go to bed. I'm so thirsty. Oh, I'm just so thirsty. And for some reason I got to pee again. Like, so you you take them to bed, dad, I got to pee they do everything they can to get out of bed. And it's amazing how thirst and the need for the bathroom always comes like right ready to their mind. As soon as I speak the words hey you need to go to bed. I just need to do it all throughout the day so they'll keep themselves hydrated and, and I guess uh using the restroom. But for some reason at the end of the day and JC was no exception, it's time to go to bed. I'm just so thirsty. And so uh all right, fine. Uh you can go to bed, you can get some water, etc. But we're in the By this point, she had been doing it for months and months, and we were first-time parents, and we had just realized, like, okay, we're getting used here. Like, every time we say, it's time to go to bed, she's like, oh, I need some water, and oh, I need some food, and oh, I need the bathroom. We're like, you know what? We're not playing the game anymore. From now on, when we say it's time to go to bed, no matter what she says, we're going to say, you got to stay in bed. We're not playing the game anymore. So we put her to bed. And I'm downstairs doing marriage counseling. Uh, and Christy was upstairs. I don't know, probably pregnant. Um, and so, uh, I hope she's not listening. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, uh, JC, of course, gets up because all of our children get up every 15 minutes when they put them to bed for at least three hours. And she's uh, got to use the bathroom. She goes into our room. Uh, so this, I'm hearing the story from Christy. And so she's going to the bathroom and she goes to the bathroom. She comes back. She, I want some food. She gets some of the food. She goes back. She goes in bed. And I'm doing the marriage counseling downstairs. And then all of a sudden I start hearing, ah! I hear it. And, and I'm like, the, she's just screaming at the top of her lungs, screaming, screaming, screaming. And I'm like, finally, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm a whole flight away, but I can't do marriage counseling because of the child screaming as loud as she is. So I, I go upstairs and I'm like, Christy, you know, I, I, I can't even do marriage counseling. She, she's screaming so loud. She goes, we're trying to do that thing where she stays in bed and I don't want to go in there. I'm like, I'm just going to go and check and just make sure, you know, that she hasn't hung herself or something. Um, and so I go in there and she looks up at me and like her lip, she's like dad i i can't breathe it's like her lip is really big and i'm looking it's dark and i'm looking i'm like wow like her her lip is huge and i'm like i grab her and i'm like christy like look at her lip she's like what happened i was like she's she's like i don't know and she's like i gave her a cashew and i was like she's probably allergic and so i run downstairs i can't do marriage counseling i get in the car um and so i don't know what happens with them i guess christy you know Tells them bye. Uh, but I get in the car and I break every law driving towards the hospital as fast as possible. Christy calls me up and she's on the phone. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. And to help nothing, JC's in the back going, I can barely breathe. And of course, Christy hears that. And she drives into overload, Like what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. Just call the hospital and tell them I'm coming. So when I get there, everything's fine. She's like, all right. She hangs up. She calls the hospital. We get there to the hospital. Um, I, you know, I'm breaking every law that I can get there. We pull up to the ER, there's people all in the ER, you know, they've got the big pouches on their head and they're like looking at us, just breaking them to line going straight back uh, because we called ahead. And so the doctors rush out to the car, they take them but they didn't know that, she, you know, she's in anaphylactic shock, I knew, but you know, they're having to sit there and get broken in line and give me mean looks. Uh, and so we, we break, we finally get there, she, she's, she's okay, she ends up, the story goes, there she is, she's fine. So, but my point was um, we went to, I went to great lengths, I was willing to you know, don't break the law. But I was willing at that moment to break the law to make sure that she didn't die. Right. Um, I went to great lengths to make sure even breaking the law for me and for even for Ataliah, breaking the law of what would be uh, for Jehoshaphat, but breaking the law of Ataliah, uh, great lengths to make sure that someone didn't die. Now, in the same way, guys, people are spiritually dying around us all the time. All the time. What links will you go to. To make sure that those who are dying spiritually. It's an emergency. It may not feel like an emergency. Like get in the car and drive. But it is. It's an emergency at all times. People around you are dying spiritually. If they don't know Christ. Will you go to great lengths? What lengths are you willing to go to. To make sure that people don't die spiritually around you. They're dying all around us and we need to be willing to do anything just like Jehoshaphat, We should take her example and apply it to our lives with the great commission and say, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to break through the uncomfortableness of having to uh, get to where I can have a conversation with the gospel about somebody and tell them. The, it's, whether they get saved is in the Lord's hands, but I want, I'm going to tell them. I'm willing to go and do all the things I can. What are you willing to do to make sure that people don't die spiritually around you? That's the lesson we can learn here from verses 1 through 3 with this great hero, Jehoshaphat. So uh, in the second section, um, part B, verses 4 through 16, we see another hero, Jehoiada. Jehoiada is the hero. Um, Jehoiada, by the way, is the husband of Jehoshaphat. So heroes attract heroes. Uh, Two awesome people. Jehoiada is the priest at the time. And he wants, uh, fast forward six years, we're seven years ahead now. Little Joash is seven, still living in the one bedroom of the temple. Uh, And Jehoiada says, it's time to make Joash king. He's seven years old. You know, He's at the ripe old wise age of 7. It's time for him to, time for him to be king. And so Jehoiada has this plan. He's the priest and basically you have the guards of the temple that would give shifts in thirds. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to take the one third that's here and the two thirds that are at the shift change. We're going to take both of those two thirds and we're going to take the other third. And so we're going to have three thirds. We're going to have all all the priests here at one time. I'm going to call the off duty ones here. We're going to have every priest here right at the shift change to have them all here. And they're going to take Jehoiada out of this inner room. They're going to take him to the pillar where we do the anointing and they're going to guard the king with their very lives. And in the transport, The the guards are going to be willing to to lay down their life for the sake of the king. We're going to get him to the pillar. We're going to anoint him king. Boom, he's king. And then Italia is not queen or leader anymore, and she's rendered powerless. That's that's the plan. So what we're going to see in 4 through 16 is that go down. Uh, And so uh, Jehoash's kingship is going to be proclaimed here. So in this set of verses, um, what we're going to see... Is how Jehoiada works that plan out. By the way, I already said this, but Jehoiada and Jehoshaba are husband and wife, and we should recognize that it is awesome to see husband and wife combinations of people willing to do risk taking ministry together. Um, so. Not only is Jehoshaphat a hero, but so is Jehoiada. And to have two heroes as husband and wife doing risk-taking ministry together is just a home run for the Lord Jesus. Uh, and so, here's what happens. In the seventh year, so he's a ripe age of seven, Jehoiada sent out the captains of the Kerites and the guards and had them come to the house of the Lord. And He made a covenant with them and put them under the oath of the house of the Lord. And he showed them the king's son, that is Joash, the only remaining uh, line in the Davidic uh, line. And he commanded them, this is the house, this thing you should do. One third of you, those who are coming off duty on the Sabbath uh, and the guards at the chaos, another third at the gate of Sir, etc., shall guard the palace, the two divisions of you, which come on duty and force on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord behalf of the King. So get all three thirds there. Here's the plan. Verse eight shall surround the King, each with his weapons in his hand, whoever approaches the ranks should be put to death, be with the King and even when he goes out, when he comes in, protect the king, little Joash, seven-year-old, at all costs. The captains did what Jehoiada, the priest, commanded. They brought out the men that were off duty, all the ones that are on duty. Everybody got around. And the priests gave to the captain spears and shields that were King David's. All the guards, verse 11, stood, and every man with his weapons in his hand from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, all around the altar, all around everybody. Verse 12, uh, he brought out the king. And they brought him there to the place, uh, protected, and pri- uh, whatever, with all these guards. And here we go. Verse 12 is where it all goes down. They brought the king's son, that is Joash, and put the crown on him. And that doesn't just mean like the literal crown, but it means the figurative and everything that it entails. They literally put all of the kingship on top of him. So they gave him a crown, but... It, they declared him king and it says, and they gave him the testimony. And this means he was given a copy of God's covenant law, specifically Deuteronomy 17 verses 18 through 20, which in the Deuteronomic law outlines the, uh, the rules for the king. This is what you're supposed to do as the king of Israel. This is what you're supposed to, how you're supposed to live. Verse eight, verse 18 through 20 of Deuteronomy says, this is the testimony for the king. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book of the law approved by the Levitical priests and it shall be with him. And he shall read it all of his days of his life so he can learn to fear the Lord. And by God, keeping all the words of his law and his statutes and doing them. So read the law, be a good king by reading the law so you can lead the people well. And then he says, verse 20, that his heart might not be lifted up above his brothers that he might not turn aside from the commander either to the right or to the left and he may continue long in his kingdom he and his children in Israel. And if he does this he'll be a good king. So he's given the testimony he's given the crown he's given the testimony and then they proclaimed him king they anointed him king they clapped their hands and they yelled long live the king! So here he is he's anointed. Well as they're yelling Atalia, Athalia, Aladalia whatever her name is she hears all this. this the irony of, these, of what's going to go down is dripping, right? Here's what happens, verse 13. She heard the noise of the guard and the people. She, she went into the house of the Lord. And when she looked, there was a king standing by the pillar, as according to the customs. So there he is. She sees the seven-year-old, you know, the big crown on his head halfway. And who knows? And the captains and the trumpeters beside him, and all the people landing, the rejoicing, blowing all the horns. And Italia with a straight face looks at all of them, rips her clothes off and can somehow muster with great irony, treason, treason. Then Jehoiada, uh, the priest said to all the captains that were with her, uh, take her out of here basically. She, she can't be killed in the temple because that's not good. Take her out of the temple and kill her and put her to death. And they took her out uh, where it says where the horse's entrance and they killed her. So that's, that's that little section um, where she comes in with a straight face somehow and doesn't realize the irony as she screams out treason that she was the one that was literally putting to death all of the Davidic line six years ago. Uh, Jehoiada has her, has her killed. And now we have uh, a picture here of how it all went down. Jehoiada, Jehoshaphat, big time heroes to preserve the Davidic line. Joash, protected by all the guards, when the king goes out, be with him. They bring him in, as it says in verse 12, put him beside the pillar, and they crown him. And as they do this, look what it says in verse 12 they do. They clap their hands, and they and they cried out with their voices. Long live the king. Now, this verse in Second Kings 11 and 12, it, it's just a little whisper or a shadow of something that we're all going to actually get to partake of one day. This people surrounded the king. Rejoicing over the fact that he is king and worshiping him, in a sense, proclaiming their joy that he is king. is just a whisper and a mere shadow of what we're going to partake of when we surround our king and sing to him uh, these words. Revelation chapter 5, starting at verse 6. In between the throne and the four living creatures, among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain. And seven horns with seven eyes, for it is the seven spirits of God sent out on all the earth. And he went in and he took the scroll. This is Jesus. Took the scroll of the right hand who was seated, who was thrown. And when he had taken the scroll, by the way, in Revelation 4, everybody was weeping because no one was worthy to even open the scrolls. And everybody's like, what are we going to do? No one can open the scroll. How are we going to be saved? And he who is worthy comes in, Christ, and says, I can take the scroll and I can open it. And he comes in and he takes the scroll from the right hand. That's God, the Father, takes it from him seated on the throne at the right hand and verse 8 he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elves all fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls and, and golden bowls of full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they all began to sing a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed a people of god from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our lord and they shall reign for On all the earth. And here's where we come. This is where you and I come in right here. This is amazing. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands and all with a loud voice saying worthy. Is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature. Here we are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. We will be saying this. We will say to him who sits on the throne to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Picture that. That is the great picture and the great story. And what we see over here in 2 Kings 11 is just a tiny little whisper and shadow of the glory that's going to be happening for the king of kings, Jesus. And so when we read this in 2 Kings 11, where they're all kind of crowding around and clapping their hands and yelling, long live the king. It's just a flicker of glory compared to the unbelievable glory that's going to be coming in Christ and attorney when he was receiving all these praise and we will be there in revelation five. It's an amazing thing. So the application, as we look at this is, is this just as Jehoiada and company proclaimed the King and uh, rejoiced and gave glory because of it. We should boldly and courageously pro- proclaim Jesus as King in our own lives to everyone. Because that's what we will do forever and eternity as it lays out for us in Revelation 5. Now, as we see the protection of Joash and we see the anointing of Joash uh, or how the kingship is proclaimed. Here we see in the next section, Joash's covenant with God and with his people in 17 through 20. Now, I want you to make sure as we go into 17 through 20, notice the sequence. It's always key that we notice the sequence. Covenant covenant. Then smashing of idols. This is how the gospel works. Covenant being made. You have now been declared righteous. You have now been declared holy. You are now been declared justified. Now, by the power of the Spirit, kill the idols in your life. Kill your sin. It's never the reverse. If it's the reverse, it's a work-based righteousness. Kill all the idols in your life so you can finally be made righteous. Wrong. Every other religion in, in the world is that. Christianity is the opposite. It's always, we get the sequence right. Covenant, smashing of idols. And that's what goes down here. We're going to see it in 17 through 20. Uh, We'll actually see three little elements of the covenant. uh, But let's read the text. 17, Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the people, uh, the king and the people, that they should be the Lord's people. And they also, between the king and the... Let's start again. Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. Verse 18. And when all the people of Israel went into the house of then all the people went into the house of Baal and tore it down, and his altars and his images, and they broke it into pieces, and they killed Matt and the priests of the Baal before the altars, and the priests posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. And he took the captains, the Carites, the guards, and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate of the guards to the house. And he took a seat on the throne. See, here we have covenant and after covenant, the smashing of the idols. Now, that's the way the pattern should always go in our own life. Now, we're going to talk about that in a second. uh, But first, let's see the three elements of the covenant that's made and how they apply to us. Number one. There's a covenant with God and Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and his people. So there's a covenant with God. Joash made a covenant with Yahweh, which led to making the desire to smash the idols. And the same is true for us today, except it's called the new covenant, the new Testament. Jesus Christ gave his life for us because we have now in the new covenant. uh, Jesus took our place on the cross. We've been declared completely clean and holy and justified. Now that that's the case. Now we walk forward living out uh, the truth that's been declared of us in this new covenant, that we have um, been declared holy. As it says in Philippians, which I say a good bit, Philippians 3.16, only let us hold true to what we have already attained. What is it that we've already attained? Holiness, blameless, justification. Let us hold true to what we've already attained. You're You're not getting justified by killing idols. You've already attained it. And that's been declared of us. Let us hold true through sanctification by killing idols in our life, by putting to death the sin that's inside of us. That's the covenant with God. We also have here um, a covenant with each other. Look at in 17, it says it twice. made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people. Uh, And it says also between the king and the people. There's a covenant that he makes with God, but there's also a covenant that he makes with the people. And this is huge. This means the people of God, in this particular time, covenanted with each other. What does that mean? They covenanted with each other. Well, uh, there is a New Testament equivalent for us and it's called the ecclesia, the called out ones, the, the ones assembled together or the church. This means that whenever you go to a church and you become a member at a church, you not only make a covenant with the Lord in your salvation, but as you join a church, you make a covenant To be in biblical community with God's people. And so uh, as the church, as the ecclesia, we have entered into covenant with each other in a sense. Um, We are called then for the regular receiving and giving in biblical community with each other. We're all, if we're in community, we're called towards that. This means that if you come here regularly and you receive the benefits of being a part of the church, of being a part of the biblical New Testament community called the church, if you come here regularly and you receive all the benefits of that, but you... But you must, when you do that, you must also come also regularly to give to others the benefits of being in the biblical community called the church. We can't just come and receive the benefits but not give. We have to come ready to receive the benefits and give. We need to be ready to do both of those. If we only come regularly and receive the benefits but don't give, then actually everybody gets hurt by this. Everybody suffers. So this means when we come, everybody serves, everybody gives, everybody cares for others. Everybody does mission. Everybody comes to the things. Everybody engages. Everybody in sacrifices. This is what it means to be a part of the biblical community in the New Testament called church. If only some come to give and all come to receive, but only some come to give, everybody suffers. How? How does everybody suffer? Here's how everybody suffers. Those that come that do the receiving and the giving, if they're only doing, they're the ones that are only doing the giving and no one else is, they're eventually going to burn out. But if everybody comes and receives and gives, then those that haven't been giving now that they are, they receive the blessing from God to know what it's like to give to the rest of the church. Now, if it's just a few, everybody suffers because these people don't, don't receive the blessing of knowing what it's like to give. And these people suffer by over, being overburned or burnt out. And so if everybody does it, nobody gets burnout, out and everybody receives the blessing of being a part of the biblical community in the New Testament called the church. So you're part of the church. Um, that's your calling. Your calling is serving, giving, caring, doing mission, coming, engaging, sacrificing, and all the other one and others that we can think of in the New Testament. I think there's like 40 something. We're all called to do that with each other. Not just the receiving, but the receiving and the giving. They had a covenant with each other and we do too. Now, when you're reading this, you might want to we'll take a little side note here. And you might want to say, wait a second, Fud! Wait a second. So I'm reading this, Fud, and it says in verse 18... Then all the people of the land went up to the house of Baal and tore it down. Why is there a house of Baal? Because I remember last week in chapter 10, verse 28, you said, thus Jehu removed all Baal from Israel. Why is Baal back? Well, I, I, there's two things I can say. One, this is Judah, not Israel. Uh, but two, even if Baal was back in Judah, even if Baal... Baal was removed from Judah in 1028 and was back. Um, It shows us in just a short amount of time, six years is all it took for Ataliah to be in reign to whenever all the terrible kind of perverseness of Baal had been there. God sent Jehu to finally end it all and it's over. It took six little small years for it to be back. Um, That's how sin is. Any reprieve of sin is a, is an inroad for it to just come back into full force. So what we learn then, therefore, is we don't give six years of reprieve. We don't give six seconds of reprieve to sin in our own lives. Because this bail can come back with full force and whatever sin that tempts us can come back into full force. And so we, we take the warnings of Colossians chapter three, verse one through eight to heart, where it says this, if then you have been raised with Christ. And he's assuming it's one of those ifs in the Greek, and I'm assuming you have. So all of you who are in Christ, since you've been raised with Christ, this is what you're to do. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. See to the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on earthly things. That means sinful things. It doesn't mean, you know, don't go to work and do a good job. It means don't sin. For you, for you have died, and your life is now hidden with God in Christ What does it mean when the Bible says, for you have died? Galatians 2.20 is probably the best place that we can look at. It says it like this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. That means mentally, I just go ahead and think to myself, when Jesus died on the cross, I was on the cross with him. Not being a savior, (laughs) <laughs> but me and all my desires and all my wants and all my needs, they died on the cross with Jesus. For I've been crucified with Christ. And he goes on to say, "Is no longer I who live now. Because as a Christian, it's no longer all I have, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I just count myself to have died. And the person that's walking around now is Jesus. Uh, Even though it's not Jesus, I count it as Jesus. Actually, I'm just going to me living by faith in Jesus. So when we go back over here and and read in Colossians chapter three, verse three, for you, for you have died and your life is hidden with God in Christ. um, That means count yourself as dead on the cross. Not in a way that you're the savior, because only Jesus is the savior, just that we needed a savior. And then he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also appear with him in glory. All right, we've got all the theology. And Paul's like, so here's the brass tacks because we all need it. Like, so what does that mean, Paul? What does that mean? He just spells it out for you. Put to death, then, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death. Now, if you couple that with uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 12, put to death by the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body. You don't put to death sin by yourself. We, you don't white knuckle sin. You don't kill sin. We kill sin by the Holy Spirit. But he tells us in Colossians 3, 5, put to death that, that was earthly in you. What does that mean? Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. On account of those things, the wrath of God is coming. And in those things, you once walked. You once walked. Second Corinthians 4 says that you once walked, but that's not who you are anymore. He, Paul says and here, in here, those you once walked when you were living in them, but now... Just to get practical again, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't give six seconds of reprieve or bail is back in full force in your life. That's what we learn. Covenant, smash idols. Because of the new covenant of Jesus in our life, because of the gospel, our job is to actively seek out and smash every single form of idolatry our heart finds. Every day. Every single day. That's back to the covenant in God, but that also applies to the covenant with each other, which leads us to the third form of this little covenant. So you see a covenant with God in verse 17 and 18. And then notice these, this beautiful language of, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because it's a seven-year-old, but the seven-year-old is put in, right? And what happens in the city? Here's what happens in the city, verse 20. So all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet after Ataliah, Ataliah, whatever her name is, have been put to death with the sword of the king's house. So here we've seen covenant with Yahweh, covenant with each other, but also the covenant means this. Covenant means joyful rest. If we notice the language here, when he took his seat on the throne, just think of this through the New Testament lens of Jesus. When he took his seat on the thrones, the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet. That reminds us of the New Testament uh, gospel that's given to us in the, Matthew, in the great gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus, King Jesus, who has seated on the throne and the people, his people, us, should be rejoicing. And he great, invites us in the great gospel rest and the city is, quote unquote, quiet. He says to me, come to me, all who, are la- who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls that's going on in this city is what is what's promised to you in your heart for my yoke is easy and my burden is light so the end of section 3 we have three applications one kill sin no reprieve we're always making war on our sin number two invest deep in the church community here View it like a marriage, not like a dating and a dating. Really. If you're dating, you can end it. Really. You can end it. But in marriage, it's a whole lot harder. View your membership and your covenant with each other, like a marriage here at remedy church. I, 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 view how I love you and I'm around you and I'm with you, covenanting with you. And we're practicing biblical community. We're both all in on the giving and receiving. We view it like a marriage, which can't be broken. Um, so we invest deep in our in our church community and viewing it like a marriage. We care for each other and we're all on mission with each other. Man, that sounds like something I've heard before where I'm in community with each other and I care for people and we're on mission. Community, mission and care. That sounds like something that I've heard before somewhere at Remedy Church. Oh yeah, that's our little tagline, right? Remedy Church, community, mission, care. And that's just us fulfilling the, the mission of the church. To be in community with God and community with each other. To be in covenant with God and covenant with each other. That's the two applications we can make here in 17 through 20. Now to section D, we're not gonna spend too much time on this because as all Kings, they're not perfect and they have some problems. Jehoash, not so perfect. Some, he does have some problems. We won't spend tons of time on this. It does end in tragedy. Uh, But here we go to verse 12. We're going to start that little kind of, uh, normal kind of writing style that all of the writers do in the Kings. And here it is, verse one through three, Jehoash, when he was seven years old, began to reign. We can just guess the problems of the seven-year-old taking reign. If I had Liam become king right now, who's almost seven. I mean, I can just he can barely read and still sucks his thumb at night. Right. So like if so, if he's King, then there's a lot of problems <laughs> of making him King. Right. And you would imagine there could be some problems making a seven-year-old King. Um, so the seven-year-old, when he began to reign the seventh year of Jehu, Joash, uh, who began to reign, he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem and his mother's name was Zibia. And he, uh, and jo- jo- Jehoash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord because Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. Not good. Not good. Still entering into the same problems of 1 Kings 12 with Jeroboam. Even 1 Kings 3 with Solomon, where they uh, have some kind of deal with this high places instead of out in, uh, in, the, in the far beyonds doing worship instead of keeping it where it's supposed to be. Anyway, uh, verse 3. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, continued sacrifice, making offerings in the high places. So before we get to the problems of chapter 12, let's notice the three good things. There are three important good things that we can make sure we see. One, he reigned 40 years, it says in verses 1 through 3. He reigned 40 years. Usually, usually on the whole, when a king reigns 40 years, that's good. It's a signaling of the blessing of God. He had the blessing of God. Number two, and it's outright and explicit, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's good. When a king says he did what's right in the eyes of the Lord, doesn't mean he's perfect. But on the whole, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, tells the writer of the book of Kings, hey, this guy was good. This guy was good. Solomon, David, Asa, Hezekiah, Josiah, uh, Jehoash. There's, there's a few. We'll see the ones that we saw uh, in the very beginning of the sermon did what was right. Lots of bads, lots of bads, few goods. And so when we see that, that's good. Third, we can see that he has this mentor, this instructor, Jehoiada. So Jehoiada significantly older than him. He's the one that protected him and he's seven. So while Jehoiada, as some commentators kind of point out, easier to see in the Chronicles, why Jehoiada alive, Joash is okay. When Jehoiada finally dies, Joash starts making bad decisions And then that's when his life kind of ends in tragedy. The Kings writes, uh, Joash's life ending in disappointment. Um, The Chronicles writes, King Joash's life ending in wickedness. So take your pick on how you want to read it. Uh, But the, the key ingredient seems to be when Jehoiada, the instructor or the mentor dies, it goes bad. Pointing for us, hey, always have someone older than you in the faith around you, giving you instruction. And if that guy moves or dies or that girl moves or dies get another one you know that's the lord's prop, uh, providence telling you hey go find somebody else now like you always need someone in your life mentoring you um those are the good things bad things and we'll go through these fast um, problem one verses one versus three the high places uh, he continues to make sacrifices in the high places continuing in the sin of jeroboam first kings 12 first kings 3 with solomon etc not good number two Verses four through sixteen. Problem number two: He doesn't repair the temple. You can see, you can just guess uh, if a seven-year-old is king and, and making sure that people are fo- doing follow-through. I mean, he can barely, you know, remember to go to bed on time. So uh, here's what happens. Verse four: Jehoash said to the priests, "All the money of the holy things." He may have been older. Doesn't tell us. We can presume he's still young. Jehoash, Jehoash said to the priests, "Hey, when all the money comes in, I want you to take all that money." Verse five. Get all the money from all the donors. And then here's what I want you to do. Let them repair the house whenever it's needed and repairs is discovered. Like fix the house of the Lord. Fix the temple when it's broken while well, all the money that comes in. Verse 6. But by the 23rd year of King Joash, he's 30 years old. He had been king 23 years. The priests had no, made no repairs on the, hat, on the house. 23 years into the kingdom. And nobody's done any repairs. That's a pretty patient king. Like after he's finally 30, he's like, okay, I got to say something. I mean, it's been 23 years. You haven't made any repairs on the king, on the thing. So that's a bad problem. It's a patient king, but he's not seemingly good at casting vision to people. Or he's not seemingly good at follow-up, making sure when he does cast the vision that people do what he says um, and so that's, that's problem number two, repairing the temple. And it's kind of outlined for us there. Uh, problem number three comes in verse 17 and 18. Some foreign Kings come in and when they come in, they make threats. You can see it's Haziel King of Syria. It's an outside threat. It's not even Israel. He, he comes into Gath and he defeats Gath. And at that time, Haziel King of Syria went up and fought against Gath and took it. And so, you know, Joash is quaking in his boots. He's like, oh no, uh, if he beats Gath, he's going to beat us. And so he just goes out to Haziel and he's like, here's all our stuff. <laughs> like, like kind of hasty there. You can see it. But when Tom Haziel set his face to go up to Jerusalem, Joash went to him, took all the sacred gifts of Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Azahiah and the kings of the fathers of Judah, that they had dedicated all their sacred gifts, all their gold, that he found all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king of house. And he went and he took them to Haziel, the king of Syria. Uh, and Haziel left from Jerusalem. Like, dude, seventeen 18. Third problem is he depleted the temple just totally got rid of all of the stuff not good not good at all don't just deplete the temple defend the temple don't deplete it just because you're quaking in your boots. And so while 2 Kings kind of writes the outline of, of Joash ending in just kind of disappointment, if you go over to the Chronicles where it writes his life, it ends in wickedness. As a matter of fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, 20 through 22, it tells us this. Um, so Jehoiada, who has been instructing him and mentoring him the whole time, Jehoiada has a son, Zechariah. Zechariah comes and makes a pronouncement over them. And this is what happens. Verse 20 of 2 Chronicles 24. You can just listen. Uh, The Spirit of the Lord called Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, to stand over the people and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord? So that you you cannot uh, prosper because you've forsaken the Lord. He's forsaken you. But then they conspired against Zechariah by the command of the king. That's Joash. By the command of the king, they stoned Zechariah with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus, Joash... The king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but he killed Zachariah, Jehoiada's son, Zechariah. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. After his mentor had died, presumably, uh, jo- Joash is making terrible decisions, even killing his own mentor's son, Zechariah, who, pr- who had given him a word from the Lord saying, turn and come back to the Lord. The Lord's forsaken you because you've forsaken him. Well, what's the tragic ending? Look at verse 20 over back over to 2 Kings 12. Look at verse 20. Here it is. <clears throat> his own servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash in the house of Milo on the way that goes down to Scylla. His own servants struck him down, thus fulfilling likely what Zechariah said, may the Lord see and avenge. Tony Marita looks at all this as a commentator and he says, what a sorry picture of a young man who'd received wonderful instruction from a godly teacher, Jehoiada, only to turn his back on Jehoiada and God later. And so we see here a tragic conclusion of Joash. His life started out on an absolute thrilling note where Jehoshaphat, I mean, what a hero she was to save his life, keep him alive for seven days. Jehoiada joins, they anoint him as king at verse seven. There's happiness in the land for 30 years or so. His mentor dies and then it all turns to tragedy. What a tragedy. And all the kings as they are being written are ending on this note to help us all see, humanly speaking, don't ever put your hope in a king. All kings, except for King Jesus, will ultimately let you down. The kings are written in this way so that we don't hope in kings, but we only hope in one king, King Jesus. He's our only hope. They will all let us down, every single one of us. And so the gospel conclusion, as we conclude, is this, that the good news is that God still, as he offered mercy to his people Israel today, he still offers mercy to us. He raised up Joash to fulfill the Davidic kingdom. Joash had sons, so the Davidic kingdom still in place, but Joash's life ends in tragedy. It ends in tragedy, even though the Davidic line is preserved. And how is the mercy being fulfilled? How is the Davidic line ultimately being fulfilled? It's being fulfilled by the truer and better Joash, Jesus. Just like Jesus, Joash, in his birth, had people in power trying to kill him, but his was preserved in the same way Jesus, when he was a baby, had people trying to kill him. But his life was preserved. But... Joash did not obey Jesus all the way to the end, as Philippians 2, 9 11 tells us. Jesus did obey Jesus, obey God the Father all the way to the end. He's the Messiah that does not disappoint. He's the Messiah that never ends in wickedness. He's the Messiah that does not disobey, but he goes all the way to the cross. He obeys God forever. And now, it tells us in Philippians 2, 9 11, that he is forever exalted. Joash's terrible ending ending in disappointing tragedy, should instead take our eyes away from him and divert them now to the descendant of David, Jesus, that never disappoints. So let's end with this great gospel promise from Micah chapter seven, verses 18 to 20. Who is a God like you? Talking to God, who is a God like you? Removing iniquity and passing over rebellion, that's what he's done for us. For the remnant of his inheritance, he did not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. He will cast out our sins to the depths of the sea. You will show loyalty to Jacob and faithful love to Abraham and whom you swore to your fathers from long days ago. This is what he has done for Israel through the preservation of joash the davidic line is what he's done for us today through jesus christ he has not shown anger at us forever he's delighting in faithful love he has passed over our rebellion he has vanquished our iniquities he has taken our sins and cast them to the depths of the sea he's shown us great love great faithful love in the person in the work of jesus from long ago and forever this is what christ has done for us in the cross god delights in faithful love so we we'll will you look to Jesus Christ then for pardon? Will you look to him and him only? He's the only one that can cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. Jesus Christ is the only one that ever stepped into a cross to trade place for sinners. And his blood covers the worst of sinners, mine and yours. And all the people written in the Bible that had faith in him. And he provides for us now forgiveness, love, and mercy. He's the only king of Kings. He's the truer and better Joash, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.